Let's see. Where was I? Hmm. I, I wonder which way I ought to go. started this message off this morning quoting C.S. Lewis uh, who wrote the, the phrase that, or the sentence that's quoted by a lot of people that says, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. But I thought it might be a lot more fun to watch the little Disney version of where this came from. Uh, y'all did recognize Alice in Wonderland, right? Y'all all knew Disney. That's was hoping that wasn't before everybody's time. Anyway, C.S. Lewis, a long time ago, wrote, wrote Alice in Wonderland, and that was one of the things that, that has come out of that, is his saying that if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. It makes sense, right? I have this dream of taking an extended vacation. And by extended vacation, I mean like a month or two months, and just hopping in the car. It probably comes from mom and dad. When we were growing up, we always talked about we wanted to take a two or three week trip out west and just drive all over the place and see everything out west and just want to get into the car and take a month or two and just let the car go wherever it wants to go just head west take whatever road goes wherever and and we'll just go and if we want to stop and visit a country store we'll stop and visit a little country store if we want to go to some tourist trap then we'll stop and go to some tourist trap just wherever the car seems to want to go that day is is where we'll go and then when we get back I'm sure that we will have had a good vacation because we'll see all these things that that we've not seen before but I have a problem because see there are some things that I want to see I want to see Glacier National Park in Montana I've had some friends that have gone there and brought me pictures. The place looks like the most beautiful place on this planet. It looks gorgeous. I want to go there one day. I want to go to Yellowstone National Park in Wyoming. Disney, when I was growing up, some of you that are are roughly the same age as I am, remember that during that period of time, the wonderful world of Disney and all of that kind of stuff, they did a lot of Yellowstone National Park kind of stuff. And I've always had this, I want to go see Old Faithful. I want to go see the hot springs and all that kind of stuff. I want to do that one day. I want to see Death Valley in California. I want to take Route 66 from its beginning 
and go all the way up Route 66 till I get to the very end of it and see everything that's on there. I want to drive to the Grand Canyon and see it in places. I've seen it in one place, but I want to see it in a bunch of different places. I want to go to Salt Lake City, Utah, so I can see the Mormon Temple because it's supposed to be absolutely gorgeous. And I want to drive as close as I can to Area 51 at night to see if I can see a UFO. I want to do these things. But I guess that, that helps you see my dilemma a little bit because if I just hop in the car and drive wherever the road leads me, then there's no doubt I'll have a good trip. But when I get back home, there's just as good a chance that there's a lot of things that I want to see that I will not have seen because I just went wherever the road went that day. It'd be a good trip. It just won't be a great trip. And the difference between a good trip and a great trip is having a vision of where you want to go. Having a vision of where you want to go. We read in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Other versions say it just a little bit differently. That's the King James Version that I memorized it in back in the dark ages. As a church, we can take the Alice in Wonderland approach to things and simply do what comes up next. There are an awful lot of things that are good things to do that will help a lot of people. And these ideas knock on our door every day. You have no clue how many phone calls we get during the week over the course of a month of people that want to get us involved in their ministries. Get all this good, and they're good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff out there to do. And we could answer those calls and we could do those things. And we could stay very, very busy just doing the things that just come along and drop in front of us. And if we do that, if we simply do what comes next, we'll end up doing a lot of very good things. But we won't end up doing the best thing. You see, God put us all together, and this is what I believe. God put us all together in this place individually, each one of us called us into this place to be a part of something that's much bigger than all of us. This did not happen by accident. You didn't just happen to find your way here. I believe that God has drawn each person here by the Spirit of God to accomplish the good works that the Scripture tells us that he has picked, us, picked out for us to do since the beginning of time. That's a long time. And he picked those things out for this body, for these people, for you to do in this house. And he put us all together to do that. And I honestly believe that. He has a plan. I believe that we're a part of that plan. And we need to work the plan that he's put out there for us. And I've done a lot of thinking and a lot of praying about this. And I've come up with a sentence that I believe puts into words what God wants for the First Baptist Church. Now, I'm, I'm concerned about the sentence because it's not a John Maxwell kind of thing. When John says something, I don't know if you've ever listened to John Maxwell speak before, but when he comes up with a sentence, you lean back in your chair and you go, whoa, man, I wish I'd thought about that. And you read mine and it just sort of goes, yeah, yeah I've heard that before. There's, there's the sentence. It's the vision that I see for us. It's, it's making disciples for Jesus and building up his church 
First Baptist will rescue souls beginning in gray and extending to the ends of the earth. And you read that and you go, yeah, I've heard all of that before. You've heard all of it except one word. I, I like the word rescue there because, see, that's, that's what I see us doing. People, as you saw the skit uh, that started the service out, people that are not followers of Christ have a destination that is not a good place to go and we're going to rescue them from that destination. That's our job. So we're going to rescue them. So, okay, it didn't knock you down, didn't bowl you over, but what I want us to do over the next couple of weeks is I want us to break this, break this down into its component parts so we can understand how important this really is so that it will bowl us over a little bit and we can understand that this is the vision that God has for the First Baptist Church of Grace. So let's get started making disciples for Jesus. What does a disciple look like? What does a disciple look like? Think with me. In order to make a disciple, you have to know what one looks like, right? Do you know what one looks like? What do you think of? What do you think of when you think of a disciple? You think of 12 guys that are following along behind Jesus. They're all wearing robes. They've got sandals, and they're just wandering around the countryside. And that's what we think of when we talk about making disciples. There are a lot of voices that have said a lot of things about what a follower of Christ looks like. I don't believe what these people are telling me. I read the scriptures, I see how Jesus lives, and I see a picture being painted for me of something that's a little bit different than what I might have picked up all of these years. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? What does it look like to be a disciple of Christ? And it's important to know what a disciple looks like because if we use this sentence as our guide for ministry from this moment forward, that means that everything we do, everything we do, everything from Wednesday night suppers to WMU meetings to, to the uh, Band of Brothers meetings to everything we do is, is, is directed to make disciples for Jesus. Well, we've got to know what a disciple looks like. What does one look like? What am I supposed to look like? Because we're disciples, right? What am I supposed to look like? People tell me stuff all the time. I watch television all the time. They tell me that I'm a lunatic. That the world has changed and I'm hanging on to 2,000-year-old letters when I ought to let go of that stuff and move into the 21st century. What do I look like? What is a disciple? Bunch of points here. Going to hit them real fast. Here we go. Point number one. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. A disciple understands, they fully comprehend that they are dead to sin and alive to Christ. A disciple fully understands, fully comprehends that they are dead to sin and alive to Christ. A disciple understands that although we were sinners who were saved by grace, that once I'm saved, I'm not a slave to sin anymore. I don't have to live like I used to. I'm not required to live the way I used to live. Just because I'm tempted doesn't mean I have to do it. And folks, get into your head. I heard somebody preaching this this weekend. Temptation is not sin. 
So when you're tempted to do something, you haven't sinned until that temptation becomes alive in you and you follow it and do it. So no, temptation doesn't mean that I'm required to do something. I'm free in Christ. My focus is no longer on what I cannot do. My focus now is on what I can do, where I can go, what I want to do. My focus is not on what I have to give up because I don't have to give up anything. That gets people all in a wrinkle. Randy, you know what the Bible says. Well, I also know that Paul says that everything is permissible. It's just not all things are beneficial. I don't have to do, I don't have to give up anything. But because the old man in me was crucified with Christ on the cross, the new man in me wants to live like Christ, wants to live like Christ, desires the things of Christ that will lead me closer to him. I've got a very bad illustration to give to you because I hadn't figured out how to make this thing work yet. When you are on a diet... When you're on a diet, you cannot eat fried chicken. You cannot eat sausage gravy and biscuits. Yeah. Double cheeseburgers. Peach milkshakes from uh, Chick-fil-A. Oh, man, I'm telling you right now, I'll hurt you. Me and Barry will knock you down getting into there before, in front of you for those. I can't have those. Lay's potato chips. Can't have them. I can't have them. And so when I'm on a diet, what I'm doing the whole time I'm on a diet is I'm looking backwards. I can't have, I can't have, I can't have. And what do I want? I don't want a piece of fried chicken. I want a bird. I don't want a biscuit and gravy. I want the bowl to plant my face in the middle of and just suck it dry. Don't care who's watching. I'll embarrass you. Stand back. Here comes Randy. Because I'm looking at what I can't do. Now, if I can learn to focus on what's going to happen on the other side, the fact that I'll be able to walk up a flight and a half of stairs without falling down on the floor, that I'll be able to put my pants on and not have to inhale as the button gets tight, gets done as I put the thing around my neck here and I think well maybe I won't choke to death in the next two hours I hope if I could focus on that this is where a disciple of Christ starts to learn over time not to look back at the things that we've given up but to look forward at what is in front of us of the hope that's given to us of the blessing that we've already been given of the person that he has already made us to be we look this way that's the first thing that we need to do a disciple of Christ a disciple of Christ understands that they are dead to sin and they are alive to Christ. Number two, Matthew 9, 10 says, as, And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Many tax collectors and sinners came. 
Many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus. They were sitting at the table eating with Jesus. Disciples can sit with sinners, can be comfortable with sinners, and will lead sinners instead of being led by sinners. That's where we want to be as a disciple because we understand that we're alive in Christ. We want the unsaved people to have what we have instead of us wanting to have what they have. Do you understand that? Do you understand the illogic in the how we live? Because as Christians, a lot of the times what we're doing is looking at the things that the unsaved world does and the unsaved world has and wishing we could be over there. Why do we want to be over there when what we've got over here is, is essentially, in the end, perfection? Why? And that's where we want to get to as a disciple. We understand that we are at our best when we are in Christ and we know that we know that we know that everyone else would be at their best if they were in Christ. Well, we can't mix religion and politics. I've mentioned this once before. I'll keep saying this over and over again. You know, we've got to be able to separate the two of these things out. Who would you rather have as a president of the United States other than somebody who would be a devout Christian? Why? Because they're going to impose this theocracy? No, because God says, first command, love God with all of your heart. Second command, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to treat everybody. I don't care who you are, what color you are, where you've been. I don't care about that. We are at our best when we are in Christ. Disciples can sit with sinners, be comfortable sinners, and will lead sinners instead of being led by sinners. Matthew 10, 1, next point says, And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits, to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. A disciple of Christ realizes that they are empowered by Christ to change their world. We are walking around like we are defeated. That the United States has changed and it'll never be back and, and, and we're lost and we're going to end up until there's no church anymore. We're defeated. Nothing could be further from the truth. A disciple of Christ understands, they realize that they are empowered by Christ to change their world. Jesus sent 12 people and then he sent 72 people. And then you go to Acts and you find out that 120 people. And then we find thousands of people. And these thousands of people have proceeded to march all over the face of the earth until Christianity is the largest religion that's out there. And regardless of what people might say now, we know that this country, this country that has done more good around the world than any other nation since the history of history, that this country was founded by Christians looking for a place to worship their creator. It's all over our early documents. It's chiseled into all of our monuments in Washington, D.C. And it's there because disciples, empowered by the message of a risen Lord, changed the world everywhere they went. And we have the power to do that. As disciples, we understand that we have been empowered with a message by Christ to change our world. 
Next point, Matthew 12, 49 and 50 says, And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Disciples create other disciples who become a family and live as a family with one another. We end up sharing each other's hurts, our pains, our sorrows. We end up sharing each other's successes, each other's joys. Now, I know that I know that I know that I know. And I know that you know that you know that every one of your families are crazy. <laughs> right? I used to think it was just mine. But then I became a pastor a long time ago, and then I took a little break, talked to some folks, and then I came back, and every family I talked to, every family I talked to has a crazy uncle what name did I come up with? It's not the church, so it wouldn't bother anybody. A crazy Uncle Willard or an eccentric... Is there a Willard in here? Oh, my goodness. It's yours, isn't it? There you go. A crazy Uncle Willard or, or, or an eccentric Aunt Ophelia that can turn... You got any Ophelias out there? All right, I'm good on the girl. You've got somebody crazy in your family that can turn your family upside down just like that. And you might have more than one of them. I understand that. I understand that perfectly. Christ's family is no different. <coughs> family is no different. Folks expect the church to be perfect, and that's our fault. Because we went around and we tried to make everybody think we were perfect. And we walked around with our noses stuck up in the air and acted like we were all that. We were all special and all that stuff. Let me help you understand something. You people are crazy. I'm crazy. We all have our eccentricities. I know for a fact that somewhere, if I haven't bothered you in the last two years, I will bother you before I'm out of here by something I say or do. I know that because I got a little weird side to me. And some of y'all have bothered me. But we're family. And we get to do that because we are family. We are better together than we are apart. And you can tell me until the cows come home. You can tell me until the cows come home that you can worship God on the lake and you can worship God in a tree stand and you can worship God at the beach and you can worship God getting the best massage in the world from Jennifer Copeland and you can worship God in all of these places and I know that you can. I understand that. I, I, don't, I don't go against the scripture and say you can't. But this much I do know. If we don't get together, we lose our power. The Bible tells us to get together and, and, and get along like Christ teaches us to get along. And we grow into that so that we start making allowances for Randy's a little eccentric in this area and you're a little eccentric in that area and we know all of that and let's move on because this is the way God is leading us to go. Scripture tells us how to get along and because we're seeking Christ, we seek how to get along like Christ because we are better together than we are apart. Disciples create other disciples who become a family and live as a family with one another. I'm happy that we're all here. 
I'm happy that God's put every person in this house that he's put in this house because we all serve the purpose that he called us here to serve. Next point, Luke 9, 42 through 40, beginning of 43 says, while he was coming to he here is Jesus, the demon threw him, a child, to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And here's the sentence I wanted you to hear. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. All were astonished at the majesty of God. Majesty is a very difficult word to define. Really, we don't, we don't have majesty. We don't think in terms of majesty. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he took Peter, James, and John and went up to the top of the mountain. And he was praying, and he was transfigured. It became like this bright light. And he was seen talking with Elijah and with Moses. And, and the disciples, the three disciples were there. And Peter, of course, ran off at the mouth like he always does because he didn't know what else to do. And God's voice comes out of the sky. That same word was used of that. It is a realization of an indefinable power. That's what God's majesty is. And disciples, disciples want to experience that. It is a breathless, wordless, overwhelmed sense of being in the presence of an indefinable power. And that's what disciples are. Disciples are people who never cease to be amazed by the actions of God, by the majesty of God. When disciples see people's lives changed, when they see things happen in people's lives that transform them from who they were into a brand new creation, that changes them in ways that we don't understand and we somehow had a little part in it, but we don't understand how it happened, but now their life is completely different, that they've come back from the brink and now they're headed in another direction. When we see that, we understand the majesty of God and we become hungry for it. We want to see it. We want to see him at work. It thrills our souls. It grows our faith. We all want to be tapped on the head with that magic wand to get that faith thing going on. No, God says, look for me and I'll be found. Look for me and see me working. And when you see me working, your faith will grow because you will see me in everything around you. And disciples are people who never cease to be astonished by the majesty of God. And I think that's what we want to be. We could go on the list is longer. But we don't have that much time to keep going through the list of what a disciple is. Those are the big ones, I think. I think that's what we want to be. That's what I want to be. That's how I want to operate. That's the way I want my life to work. I think that's the way we want our family and our friends to be. We want to be people who understand that we are dead to sin and alive to Christ. When you understand that, you will, for the first time in your life, understand what freedom is. What it means to be able to live and not worry about what's going on, about what you're about to do. We want to be people who can sit down with anybody that's placed in our path and influence them towards the truth. 
We want to be people who understand that we have been given a message that will change the world. And it has the power to change the world. And it has changed the world. And it will continue changing the world. We want to be a people who live together in this church as a family that's bound tighter than blood. And we want to be a people who are continually astonished by the things that God changes when we seek after him and he proves his power in our very presence. That's where I want to go. I think that's where we want to go. And I'm asking you to let's go on this journey together, a journey chosen for us from the very foundation of time and empowered by the very one who has given us all life, making disciples for Jesus. Making disciples for Jesus. Being disciples for Jesus. It's a worthy goal. It's an honorable goal. It's a noble goal. It's a goal that Jesus himself said that we ought to have. So let's make that our goal. Making disciples for Jesus. Now we've talked about all this. Let me ask you a question. If you looked in the mirror... What would you see? If you looked in the mirror, would you see that person that we've talked about? I don't make this stuff up. This is what's in there. Is that what you would see? Now, here's what I want to recommend to you. Do not rededicate your life. Because, see, that's you doing something. Do you know how many diets I've been on? Oh, my word. I bet I could buy a car, a nice car, leather interior, built-in GPS. It's got to be more. What I ask you to do is simply this. This is what I'm asking everybody to do right now. Look for God in your life. Pray for God to show himself to you every day. Start your day out with 60 seconds of prayer that says, God, I want to see you today. And I'm afraid of what I might see, but I want to see it anyway. Show me you. Show me you. Show me you. Because I believe when you see him that you will start to change. You'll like what you see. You'll start becoming what it is that he wants you to become. A lot of us look around the people that are around us and think that, you know, if If you'd change, if my wife would change, if my husband would change, if my children would change, if that preacher would change, if that minister of music would change, if then everything would be all right with me. No. Why do people have six or eight marriages sometimes? I've tried six or eight wives. 
six or eight husbands. They need change of husbands. They need change. And if we see Christ, we change. It's that simple. Father, I pray this week, help us to see you. We who are called by your name, who walk the streets every day, who go to work. Some of us have fish on the back of our car. Some of us have in God we trust on our tags. Help us to see you. Help us to hear your voice. Not as people have made fun of presidential candidates. Do you hear God speaking to you? But help us, Lord, as we're doing something and somebody says something to us that we can hear that little voice in the back of our head pop up and say, hey, listen to that. It's me. Or as we're reading through the scripture or we're doing a devotion and all of a sudden our heart lights up. You'll remind us, hey, that's me. Help us to see you. Cause us to see see you. Make us to see you. We are a hard-headed bunch of people. Soften the shell. Show us who you are. Call out our names. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.